0: Serving as a pharmaceutical 1984, Brave New World presents a life much like our own. There are jobs to be had, play to be won, races to finish. But in the distant future of 2540, Otis Huxley presents a world where the race is predetermined. The play approved by the state. The job a distraction to maintain social order Happiness is found in the bottom of a Soma bottle, a pharmaceutical agent that ensures a docile and pleasant body politic. Words like mother and father have become scandalous questions answerable only by elders. Perversions used by savages that refuse enlightenment because in the brave new London of the future everyone belongs to everyone else. Families have been deemed inefficient and a competing loyalty to the state. People are no longer born. They're bottled. Bakunovsky's process saves time in a bottle. No longer does one fertilized human egg mean one human adult. Now one egg can be divided and multiplied up to 96 times, creating 96 siblings. These siblings are raised in the central London Hatchery and Conditioning Centre where public education begins at the point of conception. The children are sleep conditioned by voices that tell them everyone belongs to everyone else. It's in the process where the caste system is established. The world is ran by alphas. They have access to all the natural emotions, intellect, and abilities given by God, but as leaders of the world state, theirs is a solemn duty to repress them. Going down the alphabet to epsilon, each person is separated and subjugated by the Greek letter given to them at their birth. Embryos from each rung of the ladder exposed to different damaging levels of x-rays. The longer the exposure, the greater the damage, the further down the caste system that person is born into. Epsilons are submoronic, understanding only the simplest of instructions. Living simple lives of physical labor, Epsilons are happy to clean. They're not capable of complex thought, so what else for them? but soma and work and sex. Happiness is the default setting of the world state all across the caste system. This is summarized by the world state motto of community, identity, and stability. This, of course, leaves little room for the individual, relegated to outcast reservations in the uncivilized parts of the world. Indian reservations in the American Southwest were left alone to form families, pass along religion and die as free men. There is danger in the reservations, which is a novel concept to the conditioned residents of London. It was on one vacation where a woman named Linda got lost and lived the next 20 years of her life among the savages. Her son John grows up an outsider. His heritage keeps him from assimilating into the local culture. Linda teaches him to read, and her boyfriend gives him an ancient copy of the complete works of Shakespeare. He's granted a glimpse of the world before Bokhanovsky's process, the stranger in a strange land given an identity to hold on to, a culture to call his own. But as John would discover once he's been brought to London, that culture is centuries out of date. A man out of time sent to a future that sees him as nothing more than cheap content to consume. He sees the London of Shakespeare's stories turned into a playground for well-kept pets that do not suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, because the bows themselves have been banned. The sea of trouble has been calmed. It is a society, asleep and soma. Unable to go home, but desperate to escape. John ventures off into the undiscovered country, desperate to find what dreams may come. History is a warning from the past. In the far distant future of 1999, the Americans sent four separate expeditions to Mars, looking for a habitat to call home. The first two were met with Martian gunfire, the third killed in their sleep. But by the time the fourth expedition arrived to Mars, the local population had been decimated by chickenpox. Captain Wilder and his crew are met with dead cities and a cold. Silence. A member of the fourth expedition, a man named Spender, bears witness to the planetary destruction the first three expeditions brought. He knows that much like in the American West, soon the ancient cities of Mars will be torn down to make way for hot dog stands and strip malls. The local culture of the planet will be commodified into mass media, just authentically alien enough to be interesting without being intimidating. Spender heard the warnings of the American West and knew what was coming he begins murdering the crew of the fourth expedition one by one in hopes of delaying the inevitable fifth Spender is killed by Captain Wilder who too sees the coming commodification and tries to stop it Wilder is rewarded for his efforts by being sent to the outer planets where he'll stay out of everyone's way in his absence Mars is made suitable for colonization roughnecks tame the planet who paved the way for tradesmen who create items for salesmen who make life acceptable for socialites by 2005 those socialites brought their rules with them William Stendhal wanted no part of their bland conformist culture the decency laws on earth led to the Great Fire of nineteen seventy five. Any book deemed impure was thrown into the flames. Edgar Allan Poe, H. P. Lovecraft, L. Frank Baum, and anyone else who might offend clean minded citizens were deemed unsafe for reading. William Stenhol maintained his library in secret until the office of Moral Climates torched it in 1985. 20 years later he constructed a replica of the House of Usher on Mars complete with characters from classic Edgar Allan Poe stories. He's visited again by the Office of Moral Climates. Mr. Garrett, a clean-minded man, tells him the birding crew would be there soon. William Stenhol paid attention to history. He listened to the warnings and gives Mr. Garrett a tour of the grounds, complete with complimentary drinks. Deep into the basement, William Stenhall chains Mr. Garrett to the floor and begins to build a brick wall. When asked why, William Stenhall says, because you burned Mr. Poe's books without really reading them. You took other people's advice that they needed burning. Otherwise... You'd have known what I was about to do. Ignorance is fatal, Mr. Garrett. History is a warning from the past. Against the soft reins of ignorance, the Martian Chronicles shows a time when humanity fails to listen. In the opening pages of Arthur C. Clarke's 1953 sci-fi classic, Childhoods End, mankind looked up and saw its new masters, the overlords. This was made clear when Corellan, the supervisor of the overlords and humanity writ large, said the stars are not meant for man during the centuries spent on earth the overlords keep the chaos of men's worst impulses at bay and create a utopia war had been banned by the flying ships from the stars energy and food had become so cheap that they were provided as a public service this freed up mankind to pursue the better angels of their nature Each man an amateur professional of one sort or another, each hobbyist of Plato, Galileo, or Gutenberg unto themselves, but not with each other. There was no one to correlate the scientific data because nothing humanity could produce would begin to rival the overlords. An astrophysicist named Jan Rodricks grew up in a world that knew nothing but the overlords, he understood the peace they brought, but bristled at the boredom that came with it. Jan wants to prove to Earth's masters that the humans are more than domesticated savages. So he stows away on an overlord ship headed toward their home base, more than 40 blight years away. It's there that Jan learns the stars are meant for more. There is a group mind, an overmind that dominates the galaxy, a higher being that is incomprehensible to lower life, much like a human to a fly. As alien races mature throughout the galaxy, evolution hits a critical mass and the children of each race leave their physical bodies and join in the group mind. But not all races, a secret sadness lives in each of the overlords knowledge that their race has run its course and will not evolve to join the group. The humans make the leap themselves. Children under the age of ten ascend to this higher plane of existence, leaving their parents, the planet Earth, and the overlords behind. Jan sees this firsthand at the end of the world, when he returns home to a nearly empty Earth 80 years later. As the children of man move past the corporeal form, they extract the energy from the earth, causing it to dissolve. The Overlords evacuate an imploding planet while Jan Roderick stays behind to narrate its last moments. A final favor to the Overlords, who spend eternity desperately studying each species they incubate to beg reality for the secrets of evolution you